Hey everyone, welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. In the Mobile User Acquisition Show, we feature interviews with the smartest folks in mobile and growth who share invaluable, actionable, tactical insights on every aspect of mobile growth and marketing, not to mention some adjacent areas just as well. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is presented by me, Shamant Rao, CEO of the mobile growth marketing firm Rocketship HQ and produced by Karishma Sundaram, our superstar content marketing manager at Rocketship HQ. Each episode includes strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile growth marketing that you can use to unlock tremendous growth for your app in a sustainable and capital-efficient manner. Our guest today is John Hook. John is the CEO at Boom Hits, a mobile game publisher with many hits in the hyper-casual and idle genres. In today's episode, John tells us about how the hyper-casual genre has evolved to the point where it's approaching saturation in its current form, and he outlines the next stage of its evolution, hybrid casual or hybrid monetization. Today's wide-ranging conversation flows around the new dynamics involved in monetization, game design, unit economics, hiring, publishing, and much, much more in all things hybrid. I would highly recommend this episode to anyone interested in moving towards hybrid monetization and also to folks who, that are currently working within the genre. I'm very excited to welcome and welcome back John Hook to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. John, welcome. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, technically, our last episode was in our other podcast, How Things Grow, and that was such a instructive primer uh, on all things hyper-casual, really what makes the genre itself tick. Uh, and certainly, I've looked after you, John, on a lot of aspects of what's at the forefront of gaming, and uh, it's one of these topics that we're going to talk about today, and I'm excited to hear from you and learn from you today. And uh, we are going to talk about the ascent of hybrid monetization and what that holds for the future of gaming. But to start, we talked about the hyper-casual space the last time we spoke. That was a couple of years ago. How has the competitiveness of the space changed over the last couple of years? What are some of the contributing factors to this? I think hyper-casual just continues to get bigger and bigger, right? So if you break that down, why that's happening, um, I think first of it is just, you know, human element. There's just more and more people that are now playing hyper-casual games because it's just that natural sort of entry point into mobile games, right? Very intuitive, easy to play, snackable. So I just think you've got more and more people playing hyper-casual. But of course, on the development side, you've got more people now making hyper-casual games. So why is that? Again, I think one, it's just a natural, perhaps the simplest form of mobile game you can make. I think obviously there's some, been some big events going on in our lives right now. And I think as a result of the global pandemic, I think you've had a lot of people now actually teaching themselves how to code. Obviously, there's some great no code platforms like Billbox um, that are very easy to you know drag and drop and make games. And we've also seen maybe a lot of studios that have come on hard times and again, moving into hyper casual where there's some more accessible commercial deals now from publishers. So I think we've seen an explosion of developers and, you know, on, on the publisher side, 
there's just so much growth in terms of publishers now you know publishers raising money and getting bigger so what does that mean it now they need even more games to test to sustain that growth and also some great new entrants into the publishing space as well so if you put that all together seeing just tremendous growth in terms of the hyper casual gaming sector yeah and that's definitely been a veritable boom in the last couple of years and i think our factor also is just that among developers it's seen as a very very low barrier to entry it seems very easy to put together a hyper casual game in just a couple of days or weeks and this proliferation of publishers that's happened just in terms of the competitiveness, I'm curious about one aspect of that. So in terms of ad monetization, how have the dynamics of ad monetization changed with all the ecosystem-wide changes that you just alluded to? I think there's no doubt that the simple economics of the more people that are now testing on Facebook as a platform, it makes it more challenging to achieve the low CPIs that you need to get in hypercasual to really scale that global hit. And that's working on an assumption that your day zero ARPU is maybe at best going to be 40 cents on a very strong game, but maybe around 20 yeah. cents. So for the economics of that to work, you have to get a low CPI. So yeah, there's no doubt with you know more developers and publishers coming in and more games tested that those unit economics, it is getting more and more challenging now to hit that really low yeah. CPI. If that is your business model, because I'm not saying that that is the business model in all of, of hypercasual. I think also it's not necessarily what's happened in changing monetization, but I just think there's a simple reality in terms of like, let's say average session time of let's take five minutes as a snackable example. I think the reality is there's only so many interstitials and rewarded videos you can physically yeah. cram into a level yeah. before yeah. a negative impact on your retention, right? So I yeah. I think it's as much about that. If you read a hyper casual review, there's going to be ads yeah. notes saying there's too many ads. Um, yeah. but, I, but I definitely think that is a challenge now for the industry because my view sure. is that I think the industry is growing in terms of players and number of games, but I think in terms of classic monetization, perhaps we are close to hitting peak revenue for the reasons I've yeah. just said, because there's only so much you can tweak in like a runner game. There's only yeah. so many sort of like upgraded skins and shops that you can put in before you then start adding meta and getting into a different type of game. You're right. At some point, the users are going to get sick of watching ads. Right? If anything, that if we look at the reviews for hyper casual games, that's a somewhat common complaint. There's a lot of ads, and you can't just keep adding even more. And of course, all of this seems to have precipitated the advent of hybrid monetization. For folks that are listening that may not be familiar with the term, can you tell us more about what that means? Yeah, I'm not sure we've arrived at a point where there is a standard definition of hybrid monetization. Okay. So yeah. for me, simplest form, if someone says I'm making a hybrid game from a monetization standpoint, I'm going to assume that it means that you have in-app purchases, IEPs, your game, and it's not 100% ad-based. So at its simplest level, if someone says that to me, that's what I, I'm looking for. Quite the percentage split between IEP and ads, again, will really depend on the, the type of hybrid game. But I think the reason that some people are moving to this space is I, I think there is a lot of competition. I wouldn't go as far as saturation, but I, I think in this pure ad monetization, classic hyper casual model, 
again, as per we've just discussed, it only works. You need really, really low CPIs to make those sort of low day zeros work. However, if we move up into these hybrid games, and I think that's quite a big label, so let's break it down. Within hybrid games, what labels might people think of? So I would think of hyper idle games. So no, full on idle, but again, taking elements of hyper casual up. So they you, you know, have those in there. This genre that exploded that I would say every hyper-casual publisher is now building them, this concept of idle arcade games. So it's got to an extent that sort of grind you had experienced in a sort of idle clicker or classic idle game. But it does have some element of actual sort of adventure and collecting in it with some hyper-casual mini-games. And again, generally within those, once you have IEPs in your games, the goal is, let's say, rather than a day zero, your day zero target might be 60 cents instead of 40 cents. So it gives you that a little bit more breathing room in terms of, therefore, the CPI you need to balance with ARPU to give you a chance of scaling a profitable game. So really, for me, the, the IEP piece is interesting because it, it gives you the opportunity to obviously increase your day zero, day three, day seven, day 14, depending on the hybrid games. Yeah, and as you said, you, when you can't just pack some five more interstitials in a game, adding an IAP is just a step function increase in your opt-outs right there. And uh, I can see how that can be make the difference between the kind of CPI the game can support. I'm curious though, if, if user base has come to expect a lot of ads in the game, if they've come to expect hyper-casual elements in the game, I would imagine they're not necessarily accustomed to making IAP purchases. So what would you say are some of the key motivators or triggers for these kinds of players to spend money on IAPs? I think really what we're talking about here is game design, right? It's not it's not as simple as, hey, let, let, let's just add yeah. IAPs in, into a game, right? I wish it was that easy because yeah. uh, yeah. you know, maybe I'd be semi-retired by now. But why would someone engage with IEPs? It's because you've built a really nice engaging game with nice progression and like a collection mechanic anyway that gives you the opportunity to introduce IEPs. Now, the type of player that would do that, I always use the analogy of the education system. So hyper-casual is like kindergarten games. You start off and you're basically just, okay, this is a mobile game. Maybe it's a runner. Okay, it's one button control and I'm collecting something. Maybe there's some, or some coins and maybe there's some transformation or progression in the game. And oh, at the end, I've unlocked a percentage of a skin and now I watch a rewarded video at the end and I'm back into the level, right? And maybe at some point there might be a, an option to pay 99 cents to remove ads, right? But outside of that, it's your classic interstitial rewarded videos. But maybe as I play more and more of these games and I start playing maybe more, let's say some arcade hyper casual games or some racing games that maybe there is some element of IEPs in, or I start seeing ads for games that are not hyper-casual games. So maybe I download one of those and say, hey, actually, this is kind of interesting. There's a bit more meta to it, but, oh, hang on a minute. All of a sudden, actually, the thing I really want, the skin of a car, the sword, that item of clothing I really want, all of a sudden, that's not behind a rewarded video. That's a 199 upgrade, right? But these games this game that i'm now playing i'm spending more time in so all of a sudden i've gone from kindergarten i'm now in high school i'm very comfortable yeah. with 
spending more and more time in a game and it's something I enjoy. So the concept of spending a couple of dollars on an item is not really a real stretch of the imagination. And then before you know it, you're looking for even more gameplay experience and maybe you're playing, you know, casual mid-core games and therefore the concept of spending $50 on, you know, something in a game is no different to buying a pair of sneakers, right? So I think it's also about that yeah. evolution of the, the player journey. So in summary, you need to be really clear on who your audience are and this game you're making to understand that correct balance between ads and IEPs. The most important thing really before you worry about monetization, it's it's the earlier you can start thinking about monetization as part of your game design, that's when this the monetization piece gets a lot easier because you've been thinking about that from the start and it's just baked into the gameplay, like the progression, the upgrades, the collection, right? It's not then something like, oh God, I now need to retrofit this into a game. I'm yeah. not thought about it. Chances are it won't work. Yeah, like you said, you can't just take a hyper-casual game, add IAPs and forget about it. It's a game design problem. And like you also alluded, the depth of content, depth of monetization, people have to be wanting to play this for a long time. Then the monetization is going to follow. With that in mind, let's just say there's a hyper-casual developer that's like, let's go hybrid, let's make this happen. It's not like flipping a switch. They presumably understand that and they buy into that. So what skills or resources should they develop? This could be in terms of people to hire or expertise to develop by themselves to make sure they have a good shot at succeeding when they transition from hyper-casual to hybrid. It's, it's a really good question. And I wouldn't say there's a one-size-fits-all, but the elements definitely, if you're going to take on something above hyper-casual, well, you're going to need, you know, some developers have got a great grasp of design, right? So that transition is very easy. With hyper-casual games, you don't necessarily need a huge amount of game design, but for some of these games with more meta, you do need some solid game design knowledge, right? You're going to need that. I think, again, depending on where you net out, you're most likely going to need a 3D artist. You don't always need that for hyper-casual games because, again, you polish a hyper-casual game too much, the CPI can skyrocket because all of a sudden it looks and feels like a casual game. Already, the evolution of these hybrid or these hyper games now, I, I'm seeing just beautiful 3D art quality that, for me, is almost becoming the norm. So I definitely think you need some 3D art capabilities. It's not like you suddenly need to go and hire five developers. If you've got that hyper-casual prototyping rhythm and testing in your veins, that will fit perfectly here because the process for me is the same of trying to get some data-led validation. For these games, it's not this obsession about low CPI. Obviously, low CPI is great, but really it's that initial build. It's about looking at playtime. It's not like you're going to nail $3 day zero on the first attempt, but it's looking at more particularly rewarded video, but also interstitial frequency as well to give you this validation that, okay, now it's worth putting some proper development into this game because you might be looking at four to eight week development cycle versus two weeks for hyper casual. So yeah, I think it's that combination of having design knowledge or extra design knowledge, certainly a 3D artist, but not losing that hyper casual testing mentality. Yeah, and I think it's important to, that you underscore to not lose that hyper-casual testing mentality because there's value in that speed, there's value in that rapid iterative testing, and it's important to not lose that. It's my understanding, I could be wrong, please correct me, but it's my understanding that while a number of games have combined ads and IAPs, there aren't as many games that have combined ads, IAPs, subscriptions. So would you say that's accurate? And if yes, 
can you explain why that is the case? I think they're different models, right? And it comes back to this sort of player behavior. If you're looking at the subscription model, that's the whole concept, right? Which is, look, I'm paying a monthly subscription for access, a bit like what obviously Apple Arcade, um, the concept there is, you know, I'm not I, I, I'm not looking for ads and the trade-off is because I, I just don't want ads to interrupt my experience. Hence, I'm happy to pay X amount per month. It's not that these games shouldn't have a really nice mechanic and progression element to them it's just i think that's that's sometimes the problem i think when you've got low playtime low revenue games why are we trying to retrofit those into a subscription model right i think there are better models that are now popping up for let's say like these hyper casual hyper games actually which is moving more into this concept of link to blockchain and crypto that for me is makes a lot more sense when i think about player behavior and what these players actually want from a game versus trying to fit a subscription model into hyper casual games unless you have got a giant portfolio of games that maybe the economics could make sense but yeah for me for hyper casual if it's going to go anywhere it's this movement more into this as i said a play to earn model because really i'm doing the same thing what you're doing is just swapping the coins i'm earning for some form of token and again, yeah. it could work with some of the publishers when you've got a big enough game so the audience can take that token across games. I think that's key. But yeah, I think that for me, the subscription model in hyper-casual just doesn't make sense. Sure. Publishing and publishers have been a key part of the hyper-casual space over the last couple of years. So how do publishing deal structures change for a hybrid game as compared to a hyper-casual one? Again, the economics are a bit different because you're building a slightly bigger game. It requires more resource. I think the initial conversation is the same in terms of understanding the audience, the project and having some form of validation. Generally, there is some expectation that because the teams building these maybe have actually come from the casual or even the mid-core space down, that sometimes I see a higher starting cost versus hyper-casual because you know it's a bigger right. team. Maybe they've done a casual game, so they just have a higher price tag to sign them versus a hyper-casual team moving up. Maybe they're more comfortable with the economics of hyper-casual. But really, the, the same thing with hyper-casual that you get with these hybrid deals is also it's just about cost of living, right? You know, like the cost of living in Berlin is very different to Istanbul is very different to like Mumbai is very different to Seoul. So there's that element as well that will you know, impact these conversations based on the size of the team and cost of living. I think revenue should be fairly similar. I don't think it should necessarily change. The only way it might change is obviously when you have these hybrid games. I think the key thing for developers just to understand is you do need to make sure the publisher's got the set of tools for hybrid games. So they need to have got experience in IP games. It's not easy to just suddenly switch on knowledge around IEPs, both from a user acquisition monetization perspective, but also, you know, BI, you're going to be want to think about like live ops and live events in your game. So for example, there's lots of peak gaming times around like national holidays where you can do some really cool events. So whether it's around Diwali, whether it's around Christmas, whether it's around St. Patrick's Day, Valentine's Day, Chinese New Year, these could be really great revenue events for your game but again you need a publisher that has got experience doing that and traditionally it's not your classic hyper casual publisher because you don't get the casual games so i think that is the trade-off that you're getting access to a bigger set of tools that you need so that might be a sort of a negotiation point but yeah i mean i think i've seen some very fair pricing in 
these kind of conversations, but it's also hyper casual. It's about you as a studio, what's most important, the, the upfront cost development, or maybe because you've had a hit and you've got more cash flow, you can have a low, you know, upfront payment because you want a bigger chunk of the revenue and profits if you publish the game. So it's a very personal decision on cost of living, appetite for risk, size of team and your experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to drill down on this a little bit more. So the prototype testing that's very common in hyper-casual marketability testing, do you think that exact same approach works for hybrid or similar adapted approaches work? How do you see that? I think it absolutely applies whether you're talking to a hybrid game I've seen it working well for like merge games, idle games, because really it's about resource allocation, right? How, how can I get some data-led confirmation that this is the right approach to go down before I go and spend six months building a game that only after three months do I test that it, it just could be awful and I've wasted three months. I think I'm really excited now by these hybrid teams because usually what I'm seeing is they have a team working on hypercasual. And if you catch an ICPI or a theme in hypercasual, there's a good chance that that theme will have some relevance in this hybrid hyperspace as well. So you may need to add something new to it, but as simple as, okay, take that theme and add a three button upgrade mechanic. And then all of a sudden it is more of a hyper hybrid game. And if, if the CPI yeah. still holds, it may be worth building out some initial content to then also look at playtime indication of monetization potential. So I definitely think that hyper casual testing mentality holds in this hybrid game space. Yeah. And like we talked about earlier, just the rapid iteration, rapid testing can be so valuable. Also just because I think if the upside is so much more, it's much more valuable to reduce your downside by doing that self testing upfront. John, also, what do you see are some of the more common mistakes that developers make while attempting to transition to hybrid? Could be from casual or hyper casual. There's a few common ones. I think the first one with these hybrid games, the same rule applies as hyper casual, right? You still need this addictive core loop. It's not as simple as, oh, I just build more content and more meta and I get more playtime and more monetization. That's absolutely incorrect, right? <laughs> you still need this fundamental core loop. This, you hear it quite a lot in gaming, people talk about the grind, right? When you come to these idle hybrid games, right? I wanna really feel like I'm grinding to achieve something. It's that grind and that loop that you need to perfect. And then that's what then drives the playtime. And then, yeah, of course, then it's about then adding on more meta, more worlds, which in turn drives the monetization, right? So I see that mistake a lot. You know, I see games that have actually got some very nice FTUE onboarding. The game is really clear. But then after that, the sort of like collecting or whatever you're asking me to do is just really dull and repetitive. And it, I, I see it's just not understood the essence of these games. And I think when you yeah. get new categories popping up, everyone jumps on it because they're like, oh, great, this is a new thing. I can make loads of more money. But they actually don't do the basics that we all do in gaming every time. Who's my audience? What is it they want? What's the mechanic? Yeah. So I think that's the key one. I think the other one is also, again, we've touched on it, it's just not working smart, right? So if I've published one of these hybrid games, there's clearly something in that game that users like. So why would you not? When I say the word reskin, there is some intelligence and work involved, but why as a starting point would I not look to potentially reskin this game, change some of the models as a path to finding a new game versus 
building this kind of project completely from scratch. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's a mistake. I would just say it needs to be this conscious decision about working smart here. So you, you should be using your current game as also a vehicle to try and find the sequel or the next game because maybe there you find this amazing creative that actually then leads into a new game because you run this creative and you've just got crazy like CPI, CVR, IPM that obviously drives loads of traffic to your game. And of course, if the content in that ad is not in your game, you can add it in. Or actually, I would just then go and make a brand new game if it's that good. And I think the other mistake is, and, and this is where it is a bit different from hypercasual. Like in hypercasual, it's rush, rush, rush. If you don't rush, everyone's going to copy your game, add in loads of networks, off we go. I think in hybrid, that is not the mentality, right? Don't get me wrong, if you first test a game and you've got great playtime, day zero, day three looks nice, you've got great content, then then of course, let's do some more testing, add in some more networks because logically we're not wasting any users, right? We're making money off each users, we very quickly need to start thinking about day seven. But if we do the first test and you know we've got some, let's say we've got 20, 30 minutes playtime, we've got some nice interstitial, <laughs> to me acronyms, rewarded video engagement and CPI is good, well, why do we then need to suddenly rush to soft launch and add in loads of yeah. networks and just burn users? Why do we do that? Because yeah. it's it's a lot harder to just suddenly copy this game like you can in hypercasual, right? I think that is also a mistake. Calm down a little bit, right? Take a deep breath yeah. and let's actually make yeah. a game. Let's analyze the data we have. Let's do some funnel analysis. Let's find out where the pain points are. And then let's retest. So it's a hybrid. It's then actually not quite a casual game development cycle. I'm not talking we're going to spend like two years, but it is just take a deep breath. So I think sometimes developers just need to make that adjustment, right? And if you've spent all your time in hyper casual, what I'm now saying is an alien concept to you because you're constantly rushing because yeah. it, there's just so many devs that it's very easy. No one owns the crate challenge. Of course, yeah. Netflix own the IP for Squid Games, but last week in the top 10 on Google Play, six were Squid Games, right? You, you don't quite get that in hybrid casual. So I think that's a really key point. Yeah, yeah. So from what I'm hearing, it's very much a mindset shift just from getting the basics right to getting used to the different base, so to speak. It's a complete mindset shift that a developer needs to undergo to make sure they embrace hybrid and execute it well. Yeah, John, this has been very, very instructive. Just like the last time we spoke, I've certainly taken notes. And uh, yeah, this is perhaps a good place for us to start to wrap. But before we do that, John, could you tell folks how they could find out about you and everything you do? Yeah, of course. You, you, you'll put my details on the podcast. People can hit me up on LinkedIn. You'll share my email address. I'm pretty active on, on Twitter as well. Please reach out if it's to discuss anything in this podcast, you know, how to grow your studio, how to make these transitions, how do you start thinking about investment, all these topics I, I enjoy talking about and writing articles on. So yeah, I'm, I'm always here to help. Wonderful, John. And I know you're, you're sorry, very open with sharing all that you have learned, something I admire and appreciate about you. So thank you for sharing all your wisdom on this episode. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back and thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, 
and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share. Thank you for listening, and I will look forward to sharing our next episode soon.